Welcome to the podcast of Apostles by the Sea Anglican Church in Rosemary Beach, Florida. You can find out more about us on our website at ApostlesByTheSea.com. Thanks for listening. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Some Pharisees came up to Jesus and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, killing the prophets and stoning those who are sent to you, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. At this time, I'd like to invite our children to go into kids' church with my awesome wife, Ashley, right there in the back, grades four and under. Well, good morning, church. Today is the second Sunday in Lent, and Lent is all about slowing down, taking a step back getting quiet, making room in our lives to listen for God, to listen for his voice, to learn day by day to walk with him and rely on him and trust in him. And one of the ways that we do that is we intentionally give something up. We enter into a time of fasting. And I know a lot of people this year who are fasting, this is what they're fasting for, from. They're fasting from screens, That's what they're fasting from. They've just turned them all off. Others I know are are fasting from social media, from Facebook, from Instagram. Others I know are fasting from particular foods or drinks. And the reason, the reason they're fasting is so that they can make room, make room in their lives for Jesus, make more room. Fast from this over here, so I can make more room for Jesus and be more present to God over here. I hope that that's something that you're trying to do this Lenten season. I hope you're giving something up. I hope you're fasting from something and making a little bit more room in your life for God. I hope that's what you're doing. I hope you're making room so that you can be together to learn to listen a little bit more closely to one another. I was talking to a friend this past week You know what he said he was fasting from? He said he was fasting from worry. Mmm, that sounds good, doesn't it? He was fasting from worry. Just giving up worry for Lent, and I just love that. He's decided to cast all of his cares upon God because he knows and he trusts that God cares for him. And so he's just fasting from worry. 
Now, I don't know what that means he's doing on Sunday because if you know about Lent, you know that Sundays don't count and whatever you give up during Lent, you get to feast on it during Sundays. And so maybe he's just worrying us up to death all Sunday long. I don't know. But I do love that idea of fasting from worry. So have you given up something for Lent? If not, maybe, maybe that's something to try. Maybe say, God, I'm going to give up worry for Lent, and I'm just going to trust you. I'm just going to bring everything to you. I think that would be a wonderful thing to do. That's not what my sermon's about, but I thought it was a good thing to say, so that's that. We're going to spend most of our time in our first reading this morning. I don't know about you, but I love our readings today, and I especially love that reading from Genesis. I love what it shows us. We're going to focus on three things. We're going to focus on what is a covenant? What is a covenant? How is a covenant made? And then number three, how was, how is the covenant ultimately kept? What is a covenant? How was the covenant made? And how is the covenant ultimately kept? Okay, so first, what is a covenant? In my neighborhood, we've got, uh, we've got a document that says covenants and restrictions, and it's make sure that all of our houses are properly maintained, and the landscaping is good, and that we don't leave rusty cars in our front yard. But that's not what a covenant is in the Bible. If you're thinking that, that's not it. What is a biblical covenant? A covenant in the Bible. Well, it's a lot like a contract. Both of them, covenants and contracts, they establish a relationship between two or more parties. And they both spell out expectations, the responsibilities and, and the duties of all the parties involved. And they also are both explicit about what happens when the parties fulfill their responsibilities and also what happens when the parties fail to fulfill their end of the deal. Both covenants and contracts, they spell out those sorts of things. But a covenant is so much more than a contract. Let me give you an example of a contract. We had a water leak back in our home back in October over in our home. And... Um, our, all of our floors were ruined. They had to be replaced. And so we notified our insurance company. We filed a claim. And then we signed a contract with a company, an, a company to remove the old flooring and then put new in, okay? The contract was very explicit about the expectations. We expect them to do a good job in a timely manner, and they expect us to pay them when they're done. Those are the basic terms of our contract. Very simple. I want a new floor and they want my money. Okay, let's sign a contract. Deal is done. That's the way, generally speaking, that contracts work. You do this and I'll do that. And if we honor the terms of our agreement, then that's it. My relationship with the flooring company ends at that point when they have fulfilled their part of the contract and I have paid them and fulfilled mine. My contract with the flooring company has created a business relationship. But that's as deep as that relationship goes. And this is where covenants are, so, are different. That's because covenants go so much deeper than contracts. Let me give you another example. Let me give you an example of a covenant and show you the difference. About 21 years ago, I was standing next to this beautiful woman named Ashley in a church over in Pensacola. And we stood there together before God and there was a priest and a pastor and a whole gathered congregation. And we said these words to each other. Listen to what we said. We said, in the name of God, 
I, John, take you, Ashley, to be my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until we are parted by death. This is my solemn vow. Those are the words of a covenant. Those words make covenant. Guess what? I didn't have to say any of those kind of things to that flooring company to get them to do work in my house. I have to love them to the rest of my, for the rest of my life. Contracts don't require any of that stuff. But that's precisely what covenants are all about. By making those vows 21 years ago, in the name of God and in the presence of all those witnesses, Ashley and I entered into a covenant with each other. And here's the key difference between contracts and covenants. Contracts call for the exchange of property or of services, but covenants call for the exchange of persons, okay? Contracts call for the exchange of property or services, but covenants call for the exchange of persons. Exchanging property or services, that's called business but exchanging persons, that's called family. In contracts, we say, I'll give you this, you give me that. But in covenants, we say, I'll give you me, you give me you. Covenants are beautiful things, so much more than contracts. Contracts just create business, but covenants, they create family. So that's number one. What is a covenant? A covenant is an exchange of persons, a promise from both sides to do life together. Covenants create family. Okay, so now number two. How is the covenant between God and Abraham made? How did it happen? What was promised? For that, let's look together at this rather bizarre episode in Abraham's life. This is on page three of your bulletin. Okay, So Genesis 15 is a very weird episode in Abraham's walk with God, but it's also an amazing one. You know, in just a few more chapters, in chapter 17, uh, God's going to change Abram's name from Abram to Abraham because he's going to make him the father of many nations. But at this point, he's still known as Abram. Back in Genesis chapter 12, God called Abram, and he was already at retirement age when he was called. And and God called him to leave his people and leave his land and go to a place. God said, go to a place that I will show you. Okay, well, where is it? Where is it on the map? I'll show you. I don't like the way God does that. I want God to show me now. Get Google Maps out and say it's right here. But he doesn't do that sometimes. But he wants us to follow him. He's going to take us to a place. God made promises to Abram. Promises that sounded amazing and improbable. He told Abram, that he was going to give him land, and that he and his wife Sarah, his wife, would have a child, and that together they would be the parents of, of a great nation, that the descendants would number like the stars, that the whole world would be blessed through the people that came from them. But in our reading today from chapter 15, years have passed at this time, and Abram and Sarah, they still don't have a, they haven't even had a child yet, let alone a whole nation, and they're only getting older, and they're starting to wonder. Well, so much for all those descendants that God promised. And all about that land, 
Come to find out, once they, once they got there, there were already people living in the land who kind of thought, you know, I don't know anything about that God that you're talking about, and we think that this land belongs to us. So even though Abram has believed God and trusted him up to this point, he's, he's having a hard time seeing how God is going to make good on his promises. That's where we are in this story of Abram's relationship with God. Abram is asking God for more than words. Just give me something more that I can count on. He wants to know that God has signed on the dotted line, so to speak. And this is where the story gets really good and really weird because God says, okay, Abram, let's do this. Go get some animals and let's cut a covenant. Back then, covenants were ratified in blood. That's why the people of Israel circumcised their baby boys on the eighth day, because they were literally cutting the covenant into their own bodies, into their own flesh. But this covenant that God is making with Abraham is a particular type of covenant, often made between a king and his people back then. And it involves the the cutting in two of animals, animals being cut in two, and then the people making the covenant together, they would walk through those animals, ritually signifying with their bodies that if the covenant is broken, whoever breaks the covenant will have to partake of the same fate as these animals. It's like they were saying, if I break this covenant, let what happened to these animals happen to me. Let me bear in my body the fate of these animals if I fail to keep my part of the covenant. Today we say, put your money where your mouth is. Back then in that type of covenant, they said, put your body where your mouth is. All right, let's look at this passage. <laughs> let's look at verse eight because what happens is so unexpected. But Abram said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess this land? How can I be sure that the co- this covenant will be kept? And God said to Abram, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these and cut them in two, laying each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in two. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And a deep and terrifying darkness descended upon him. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your descendants, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. Here's what makes this such an unexpected thing. It's unexpected because in these types of covenants, the greater party would often require the lesser party to walk through those animals alone. Or if they both walk through the animals, the greater party would require the lesser party to walk through the animals twice, signifying that if the covenant is broken, whoever breaks the covenant must become like those animals. Let what happened to those animals happen to me if I break the covenant. But what makes this so unexpected is that Abram, after he cut the animals, he falls asleep. And then that strange thing happens. The smoking fire pot and the flaming torch, the signs of God himself, they pass through those cut up animals. 
Do you see what that means? It means that God was taking onto himself the responsibility of keeping the covenant, of seeing the covenant all the way through to the end. And by causing Abram to sleep, he was protecting Abram, protecting him from the consequences of that broken covenant. Abram never passed through those animals. He never said, let the consequences of a broken covenant fall on me. God alone walked through those animals, which means that God alone took upon himself the consequences of a broken covenant. He was promising to keep the covenant for both sides. If God failed to keep the covenant, God would pay the penalty. And if Abram or his descendants failed to keep the covenant, if we failed to keep the covenant, then God would pay the penalty. God was the only one to walk through those cut up animals. He didn't make Abram put his body into that place where the covenant was cut. Instead, God put his own body into that place. And since he was the only one to walk through those cut up animals, he was saying, the responsibility for this covenant is all mine. I will keep this covenant, and if I don't, if I'm unfaithful, then let what happened to these animals happen to me. I will keep this covenant, and if you don't, if you fail to keep the covenant, if you are unfaithful, then let what happened to these animals happen to me. If this covenant is broken, even if it's you who's unfaithful, it will be my body that will bear the burden of that unfaithfulness. And when I let that sink in, I mean, let that sink in just for a minute. That's what God told Abram. I know it's Lent, but you know what that makes me want to do? It makes me want to shout, hallelujah. What wondrous love is this? It's just amazing to me that all the way back in Genesis, when God first made the covenant with Abram, the gospel is there. God promised in that moment to bear the burden, to pay the price, to suffer the consequences of the unfaithfulness, of any unfaithfulness. However the covenant was broken, no matter who broke it, the body that would be broken ultimately would be his. That was number two. That's how the covenant was made. And now let's look briefly at number three, how the covenant was ultimately kept. Let's fast forward to our gospel reading. And what do we see? We see God keeping his promise, keeping his end of the deal, making good on the covenant, on his covenant promise. Because there's Jesus, who is God himself, who's come among us, and there he is, standing there, looking out upon the city of Jerusalem, and listen, listen to his heart. This is God's heart. This is verse 34. He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, killing the prophets and stoning those who are sent to you. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. You know what that's about? That's about God's desire to shelter his people, his desire to gather them and protect them, to protect you and to protect me. 
That's why he didn't let Abram, Abram walk through those animals. He was protecting Abram from sharing in the same fate as those animals. You know what he did and said? He said, let me take your place in this covenant relationship. That's what God in Christ longs to do. Offer us shelter and protection. Offer us salvation and rescue. And take our place when the covenant is broken. But Jerusalem was not willing to allow God to save her. Years and years he sent prophets to Jerusalem. And years and years, over and over, they sent them away. They stoned them. They beat them. But even if the descendants of Abraham will not be faithful, God in Christ will risk everything for them. Even to the point of bearing in his own body the consequences of their and our unfaithfulness. You know, every Sunday, we celebrate Holy Communion and we hear Jesus' words. He says, this is my body, broken, given for you. And this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you. You know what that is? That's covenant language. That's about his body and his blood being poured out for us. With those words, with the bread and the wine, Jesus shows us where the covenant, the true covenant is made and where the true covenant is kept. It's made and it's kept in God's own body with God's own blood. That's how serious he is about our redemption. That's why Jesus was willing to suffer and die on the cross. He's keeping his covenant promises, promises that go all the way back to Abraham, gathering us, sheltering us, hiding us under the shadow of his wings. That's what it means to be in covenant with God. Even when we had failed to keep our end of the deal, even when our hearts are filled with doubt, even when we have been unfaithful in big and small ways, God remains faithful all the way to the end. That's what a covenant is. That's how the covenant was made. And that's how the covenant was ultimately kept. It was kept on Good Friday. It was kept on the cross as Jesus took upon himself the consequences of our covenant unfaithfulness and put his own body in the place of all the brokenness in the world, just like those animals cut in two. And it was made, it was made with those animals way back then and God protecting Abraham, not letting him walk in the midst of those animals, but instead saying, I'm gonna take responsibility for this covenant. I'm gonna put myself in your place. And showing us even then that this is what I'm willing to do. This is what I'm willing to do. I'm willing to lay my life down to rescue you. And finally, what does a covenant do? Well, a covenant makes family, makes a family. A family bound by a love that's stronger than death. And of course, that's what God has wanted for us all along, for us to be his family rescued and redeemed and his. What an amazing and unexpected and wondrous thing.